Hello, everyone. It is, uh, this is Tom Shadiak. Surprise. Uh, I'm actually hosting a show that has my name on it. Uh, back <laughs> what in a Memphis. novel change. Kind of strange. Uh, thank you, Brooke, for uh, manning the ship. Um, you've done a brilliant job, and all of you. Um, say hello, everybody. Hey. Um, I was going to do a show on poetry uh, on Tuesday, and then Orlando happened, and uh, my heart got broken. And I wanted to um, try to steer a conversation about um, why this keeps happening. Um, I just turned the radio on like anybody. I was in town to um, do some work with St. Jude. They had the, the, the golf tournament this week, and then... On the radio, on CNN, I hear um, about a mass shooting, and I think they're talking about an old mass shooting, and it was not an old mass shooting. It was not Newtown or Sandy Hook, and we can name alphabetically too many. Uh, it was the largest mass shooting in history, and it happened again. And I was struck with this overwhelming sadness that uh, this is going to continue, even though we're getting less violent as a culture. This is going to continue to happen until we get a hold of why it's happening. So um, I even have Harold on the line. I'm hoping, Harold, I'm going to get him. Give me one second. Harold, are you here with us? I absolutely am. Good. I wanted Harold to be on the line with us, myself, and all of us in the room today uh, because, Harold, um, you know, you're the adult in the room, even when I'm in the room, and I love your sense of questioning. And I also thought of you of this tragedy because um, your daughter is in the LG, your son now is in the LGBT community. And um, I thought, you know, if he was in Orlando, God forbid, this could be something that could have hit us even harder. So, yeah, you know, uh, just, just right off the bat, it's happened in so many cities, in so many states uh, around the country. We're no longer limited to just those states that have gun laws that are loose or something. It's happening everywhere. So whether you're uh, minding your own business or you're heavily over there, I think it's uh, the door's been knocked on so many times. It's not surprising uh, anymore uh, at all. It's not shocking. It's just heartbreaking. Um, I'm going to give out the phone number. Um, Michael, you'll do that for me. Would you give the, the audience our phone number, please? Have them call. Good evening, everyone. If you just uh, tuned in, please call 901-260-5926 if you want to join the conversation. Tom Shady will be happy to answer your call. Thank you, Michael. I asked Michael <laughs> to take a somber tone. I'm not sure that's possible for Michael. You keep celebrating your 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 joyful, youthful um, enthusiasm in this world. Um, and part of what I wanted to do today, of course, this was an act that, from all we know, was targeted against a very specific community. And there is still so much prejudice against this community as they gain an equal rights. It's literally if not the single, it is one of the most important civil rights movements of our time, and that's the LGBT community. And I thought one thing we could do would be to spread stories of the beauty of that community. So we're going to play uh, a couple clips on this show to celebrate the beauty of that community, because once you get to know someone who is gay, someone who is transgendered, uh, someone who has a different sexual preference than your own, you will see the beauty uh, that I saw, that I woke up to, and then all those, quote, uh, uh, doctrinal judgments, uh, the prejudices go away, and you are overwhelmed uh, by the dignity um, 
the creativity, the grace of these souls that walk in a different lifestyle than many of us. So uh, we will do that. Um, but I want to read a Martin Luther King quote, and then I want to start this conversation with everybody. Because it's not the conversation that I hear on television. The conversation I hear on television is who is that guy, right? Who is that guy who did the shooting? Who is that guy, right? We now know his name. We now know his background. And then we see this every shooting. Who is that guy that did the shooting? Who pulled the trigger? And we think that they're isolated incidents of people that we call mentally ill. And I want to offer as a possibility that all of us share in this mental illness. And we as a society have not as yet taken responsibility for that. So this is what Martin Luther King said when he was uh, facing a very tragic event in 1963 at the bombing uh, of the church where four uh, young black girls were uh, killed um, in a Ku Klux Klan bombing in Alabama. And he said this in his speech afterwards. We must not merely be concerned about who murdered them, talking about the girls, but about the system, the way of life, the philosophy which produced the murderers. The philosophy which produced the murderers. Uh, Harold, I found an article. Uh, you're still with us, right, my brother? I sure am. I'm going to read a little bit of an article, and then you and I will get talking on this. I want your reaction to this. Um, this was an article written by a gentleman named Leo Zadok uh, from the Political Rooster. I don't even know what the Political Rooster is. It seems to be a very credible British blog or news uh, outlet online. And uh, he wrote an article uh, because the UK was starting to get in the pattern. America has far more mass shootings than any other country in the world. We have 5% uh, of the population. We have 31%. I believe, of the mass shootings that take place in the world. It's just we're way off kilter. So something is going on. I don't just think in America. I think we're the apex of the culture, but in the world. So um, this is what he wrote. And I, just everybody hang in there while I read this because it's going to set the premise of the show. He said, these massacres, of which there are many more examples, all bear one mark. Each has disenfranchisement. Disenfranchisement at its heart. Each case involves a killer who, aside from his or her psychological condition, feels that the nation he has been brought up in doesn't offer him enough. He goes on to say that he's perplexed that the, U, that the government in the UK, much the way the United States government uh, deals with each individual master, uh, uh, massacre case, branding the causes as circumstantial, meaning just to that individual case, and not pointing to the fundamental cracks in the framework of society and the refusal to take responsibility. So I'm going to just read one more thing. There's more to this. Uh, he said, whether we are considering a massacre, an act of terrorism, it seems to me that whether, wherever you live on the planet, once you peel away the surface of the incident, you are left with a societal problem. Not a one-off incident of lunacy. It's back to what Martin Luther King said that there's somehow the society is missing, that it is participating somehow in this culture that is creating the killers. Harold, what is your response to that? Well, it's a question. So what could we be holding on to so tight that we would uh, turn a blind side to uh, the heart of the problem, meaning 
with all these children and people being killed, uh, you know, just brutally murdered, if there is an all, if there is another reason that we're not seeing, why are we not seeing it? Even when people tell us why, what is the magnetic draw that is pulling us away? Well, from of this? course, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to push it back to you. Uh, but your 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 question is 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 very appropriate for me. Before I came over here, I listened to CNN to hear what the latest discovery was. And there was a U.S. senator on, I don't know his name, but he was defending the Second Amendment. He said, why can't we not have these AK guns? I forget whether they're 47s or 15s, I believe, was used in this one. And they're used more and more, these multi-round guns. Why can't we not have that? And I don't want this to be a show about gun control. I want this to be a show about our own control. Uh, But he hung on to the Second Amendment as if it was uh, a writ, the first commandment and the last commandment from God. When the, when the very founders of the Constitution, he said it's our constitutional right, it's our constitutional right, it's irrefutable, irrevocable. When the founders of the Constitution said, Thomas Jefferson said, every 20 years you guys ought to reinvent, reinvent everything. So he was unwilling to even consider that if you've been watched by the FBI, you know, Wolf Blitzer was positing something very reasonable. If you have been watched by the FBI, if you have set off a few alarms, then it ought to be really difficult maybe to get an AK. Right. But he said, no, you can't do that. They would do that in Russia. They would do that in China. They wouldn't do it in the United States. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> tell me, you, you had mentioned earlier, what what was the estimated percentage of the population of the United States who were happy to uh, tighten up gun laws? Oh, it's high. It's high. Even the NRA saying um, many of its members, I mean, from what I understand, the, the statistics say the, the uh, an overwhelming majority of it member, its members say that we can tighten this up. We don't need AK rifles going to, you know, average citizens, especially citizens that may have been watched or there may be some red flags or concern about. I used to think that didn't actually happen until I was in Texas and I was walking through a strip mall in like the suburbs and they had a store called uh, White Wing Weaponry. And it literally had submachine guns and assault rifles on the wall. And it, their whole advertisement was look, we're the anti-gun you know, gun control idea. So, of course, I don't know how many people actually bought machine guns, but the, the point of advertising was saying, look, we're standing for your freedom. And I was shocked. Like, this is in a nice neighborhood. Like, they're just selling assault rifles out of a strip mall. Like, it was crazy. Harold asked me this morning an interesting question. He said, did you have a gun in your house when I grew up? I'm sure many of you have had guns in your house or may have them now. Um, and I did. I had a gun in my house. He said, my dad had a gun. I remember him having a, 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 hand, a revolver, um, and he had a big knife. But uh, Harold said, why didn't you um, ever move to the gun culture? Because everybody that I admired from my youth to my adulthood wanted us to put guns down. Nobody ever gets up on church, you know, in church and says, let's kill, you know, the bad. We always say, let's love each other. Right. Let's 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 create a world of peace. Right. And so let me poke. Let me poke for a second. So. That makes sense when we're sitting here calmly having this conversation, but the reality is, for most of us, we learn the first teachers we have are our family, our parents, and if it's normal for dad to have a handgun in his night table for protection, which makes sense, I, how did you get to the point where you say, I have something that's pulling me stronger? Because it was stronger. Because, because it was stronger. Because I said, what is dad protecting? What does he protect? Even as a little kid, I saw a life that had been taken, many lives, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, um, um, Jesus. I saw lives that had been taken that had a power, more power than any general or soldier that took a life. 
you know, that took a life with the gun. And I thought, well, then what is he protecting? Because there's something that is obviously more powerful than the body. And, and if this, whether you believe in the physical, literal, or simply the metaphorical, energetic aliveness of the spirit of Martin Luther King still being here, because we're still talking about him, Jesus still being here because we're still talking about him, that seems to be more powerful. I want to be about that. I always want to be about true power, truth, what, what, what elevates and lasts. And, and so that's why I moved to where I moved. But so look, I want to get back to this idea. Why is this happening? Harold, tell me. We had a conversation this morning. Why do you think this is happening? And again, guys, please, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to entertain uh, the number again is 901-260-5926 if you want to join us um, in our, this is a processing show. We're processing what happened, and I hope we're processing it from a different place. Well, Harold, before you answer your question, uh, I would like to ask anyone, why do y'all think that he did it? Why do you? Yeah, what? but hang on one second. Now, Michael, this is what I was telling you about this show. Uh, he doing it is, is what the culture does. We point at him. Right. And we think it's just about him. There's a lot of shows you can tune to where you can get that. This show, I want to be different. I want it to be what is our responsibility in creating the Petri dish that allowed this cell to grow? Now, that's a very different idea. But I want to take some responsibility as a member of a culture, right, that created an environment where someone, as this article said, and I think rightly identifies, the thread, the common thread between all these killers is they feel disenfranchised. They don't have a vision. The vision of the culture is not working for them, so they're going to that vision. Okay, right? let, let, let me ask you something, and this is disturbing to me. I consider myself uh, a relatively peaceful man. I don't think I've ever balled my fist up and punched anybody in, in the face, ever, even my little brother. It just never happened. It's not the kind of response a reaction that I have. Okay, so, and yet, if I dig down deep when nobody's looking inside my heart and my head, if a situation came up, I'm thinking about it now, could I grab a gun and shoot somebody? And the answer is a quick, unequivocal yes. If somebody hits me emotionally or does something to somebody that I love and there's a weapon nearby, I would do something that I'm telling you now, as the peaceful man that I am, I would do things that are wrong because my emotions would take over, and that's just extremely disturbing. And when I think about it that way, it, leads, it, it opens the door to what could this guy have been fearful of or angry about or emotional about that led him to do what he did. At right. Least it's a bit of a light. Right, yeah. And, 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 and the thing that made you pick up that gun, that act that you saw that person hurt, uh, somehow uh, these cells that are turning so dark are feeling that hurt on some level, on some level. You know, Emerson said something that I've repeated a thousand times. It didn't have the word a thousand in it. If you, have a, if you have a thousand friends, you don't have a friend to spare. If you have one enemy, you'll see him everywhere. And until our society looks at why so many are disenfranchised, why the vision of our society is not working for all. What is it and how is it that we are leaving certain people out of a vision? I think we're going to always run into that person that Emerson told us we would run into. I think it's, a, I think it's an American, the, the idea of American 
exceptionalism in the sense that um, we're all individually supposed to be the best and strive for the best and do the best independently of each other rather than working together. Once that gets misconstrued, you have a lot of people who turn inward. And once you turn inward, if you're fragile and there's not a system set up to be there for you and catch you and make you feel like you're a part of the race, you kind of get left to the sidelines. And if you're someone who is volatile, that, that turns violent. And so, um, I, I just look at the way I, I seen culture grow up through my eyes and we're, we're told, you know, if you disagree with someone, they're wrong and cut them down and move forward rather than work together. And that's the only way I can make make sense of things like that. If you see someone you don't like that's gay and you're not gay, you look at someone, you say, well, I don't agree with them. And if you go to the extreme measure, you say, i got to cut them down. I think you've said more to get to the root of this than I've heard on television and the airwaves over the past 36 hours. It it, it started to be touched on in a show this morning. I heard a friend show called Pete Dominic's show. Two people called up and say, first of all, one thing that we don't see is it's all men. I mean, this was one woman recently, but there's all basically men. So what is it about the male culture, the dominant, quote, culture of the male dominant culture? And the other was the idea that there's a violent ideology. We're, we're just simply awash in violence. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in a neighborhood now, Soulsville, which is one of the poorest neighborhoods in America. And Gandhi said that poverty is the cruelest form of violence. And so... We don't look at poverty as violence, but it's a form of violence. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way that we live that seems to shut out many people. Well, it's an end-all, be-all. I mean, if you, if you get to the root of it and if you're angry enough and you're disenfranchised, to take someone's life is to end, a, end your problem or to – it doesn't fix your worldview, but if you're in that mindset, it does. I mean – Look past Orlando to two other situations. Memphis just met its 100th suicide, I mean, a homicide of the year. Right. Doubled, I think, that. double the last two years yeah. or tripled something like that. And the night before, I believe, in or- Orlando, same city, a contestant on The Voice, someone walked into a club and shot them dead on stage. And that stuff happens every day. We don't read about Doing it. Doing an autograph, signing an autograph. Signing someone, something, yeah, the, someone, right. a, a talented uh, woman who was coming up, 22 years old, someone shot them. Well, I, th- I believe that when you feel dead inside, when you feel you have nothing to live for, then that expresses out. As awful as it is, I am not in any way condoning this. I want this to be mm-hmm. very clear. Right. But we right. must understand this, right? We must, just like the alcoholic has to understand that he must stand before others and say i have an issue until he comes to that place he can't really be helped well it goes back to that american ideal for me at least where it's if i'm feeling bad i want you to feel as bad as i am because i'm feeling this way and it's my life and this is my country and i you just used the word my a thousand times and america was founded on rugged individualism we came here we 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 wiped out the native american we enslaved the Mm african-american we've been difficult for women to get equal rights etc we've done a lot of amazing things Right, I'm not here to just bash America. It's not just America. But we it's are important. part of the world. It's important, especially when something like this happens. Though you can't. The, that's what gets. I, I'm. I. I don't think it's wrong to say if you bask in American exceptionalism without looking at all the faults and saying this is where we've gone wrong. How do we move forward and fix this problem? Because it isn't our fabric. It's not the 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 problem goes past gun tr- control for me into the fabric of how we are washed into becoming 20-somethings and then moving forward and 
if I can tell you, uh, 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 express it a different way, it's the winner-loser model, which I've talked about many times, right? You said that we want to be right or wrong, right? Right? So if my way is right and the gay is not in my way and I'm right, then they're wrong, right? That already puts me above the gay in a position of authority and power over them. They are less than I am. I am in a winner-loser model. A winner-loser model says I must be right, you must be wrong. I must be the winner. That's what I'm taught. And that's the idea that has to go. There is no my when you look deep into the fabric of life. It is only a connection. And we've missed that. You know, Native cultures had that. You know, one thing I cannot tolerate anymore is we call these killers lone wolves. There's two words that I just completely disagree with. Lone, they're not alone. They were raised somewhere. They were not alone, right? There were influences. There were, love did not meet them at some point. Again, they have to take responsibility. I'm not trying to pull it away, but they're not alone in the responsibility. So lone doesn't work for me. And wolf, there's not, a, there's not an animal that treats any other animal like we treat each other. It's human. It's, it's, if you're going to call it lone anything, call it lone human. Wolves don't do this, right? Wolves will take a sheep or two because they're hungry. They don't kill the entire sheep pen. That's an incredibly rare thing in nature. That's called cancer, right? There's only one biological system that I can think of that does that, and that's called cancer. It just eats everything, and then it kills itself. So to call it a wolf, again, shows our disconnection with the truth. Uh, yeah, I, I guess going back to you were, I guess the, the people who are perpetrating this or the American ideal of winner versus loser is, uh, I feel like that's been really exacerbated uh, in the last 20 years with, you know, things like the internet and 24-hour news and people are picking news that reinforces their beliefs or you look on your Facebook feed and the algorithm shows you people's posts that agree with what you agree with, even though, you know, they're, I have plenty of friends who are completely different than me, and, and, but it creates a feedback loop, and you're only, you're only listening to your side, and I think it's creating a lack of empathy. And overall, like, our culture has changed dramatically, just even in the way we raise our kids. Uh, when I was a kid, we'd ride bikes, you know, all across town, five miles away. We didn't have cell phones. Uh, and people now, kids can't walk down the street by themselves, you know, or their parents get arrested if they send their kids to the park by themselves or something like that. There's a real, like you talk about, uh, this kind of violence as kind of a, a symptom of a bigger disease. And, and there are a lot of other symptoms in our culture that are, uh, I think being, you know, much more harmful, they're being uh, exacerbated yeah. by this thing we call the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would yeah. agree with that, but I would, I would just take it one more step back and say that the internet is an outgrowth of the internet, which is who we are as showing up on the internet. And so if we still have anger, it's going to show up on mm. the internet. If we still have judgment, it's going to show up on the internet because you don't have to go on those sites. Right. You can go on to, you know, um, one of the good sites, quote unquote, the good news sites, the sites that are talking about work that's helping to heal, et cetera. Did you want to say something, Zach? You were leaning into that mic pretty heavy. Uh, it's okay if the moment passed. What, well, what were you? I was just going to kind of piggyback off what Josh was saying and say that we kind of grow up in a culture where we're told that in order for us to succeed, someone else has to go down. Someone else has to lose, which is what you touched on. But uh, I noticed that uh, there's a lot of competition in our culture. And it's not just our culture. It's kind of growing throughout the world. And it's been there before America was America. But there's there's an idea that for us to succeed, 
someone else can't be equal with us. Right. Someone has to be beneath. Right. Right. And this is not to um, this is not to be sort of floaty about oh we're all winners we all get trophies. There are some people that are better than me at a lot of things. I want them to be elevated for how much talent they have, what a gift they have, and that I wasn't given that particular gift. But it doesn't mean to the winner belongs the spoils, right? This is what's pitting us against each other. If you win, you live. If you lose, you die. And this is a mentality that I think we all share, and we don't see it. We don't, we don't sort of own up to it. And so we keep seeing these things outside ourselves, and we're like a doctor that keeps treating a skin rash. We never go beneath to the toxin that's creating the, 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 the rash. It's because we still incentivize the people that win. We still celebrate these these athletes and these actors and these idols that people and me, hold. I'm one of them. I mean, I've I've looked at myself and I said, my lifestyle. I, I I just bought what the culture told me, and I am I believe it's a mental illness. What the Native Americans said, uh, what was it called, Wetico? When they saw the people coming from Europe and they just took and took and took, they said this is a mental illness. They don't understand their connection with nature, with all of life, with the web, and I felt that I was under that spell. And so the movie I Am, and I'm not trying to push I Am, all profits go to charity, is not about me, but it's about the idea that I woke up to. And I think it shows up in events like this, and we just don't see it. So um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to play a clip from uh, someone that I'm celebrating today. Uh, she's a woman who did, gave a TED Talk, um, Ash Beckham. She's gay, and she's beautiful, and we're going to celebrate that today. Be right back. Yeah, I'm like the anti-call guy. Like, I get on the radio, <laughs> like I host, and everybody's like, I ain't calling. It's we, all right. Don't worry about we it. We did have a record number of callers right. last time. And you I were hosting. <laughs> exactly my point. All right, look, today we are uh, processing, uh, I hope from a different perspective, what has happened in Orlando, what continues to happen, uh, this sort of blight on our culture that I hope we can take our share of responsibility for and see a different way. But I want to celebrate the, uh, the, the community that was targeted, the LGBT community. So let's listen to a, a wonderful clip, a wonderful wo woman, uh, uh, a gay woman who is, is beautiful in her perspective. We'll play clip uh, number two, We All Have Closets. I'm going to talk to you tonight about coming out of the closet, and not in the traditional sense, not just the gay closet. I think we all have closets. Your closet may be telling someone you love her for the first time, or telling someone that you're pregnant, or telling someone you have cancer, or any of the other hard conversations we have throughout our lives. All a closet is, is a hard conversation. And although our topics may vary tremendously, the experience of being in and coming out of the closet is universal. It is scary, and we hate it, and it needs to be done. I think there's a beautiful perspective um, that we all have closets. Everybody has something that they feel, that word, shame. That's uh, a word that I break down uh, when you shh, when you're quiet and, and not taking, quote, aim at what it is that's your deepest vulnerability. Um, and I think America's in a bit of a, we're, we're not coming out of the closet yet about owning up to some of our darkness and some of the responsibility that we have for these kinds of events. 
So uh, we got a caller. Let me take that quickly. Harold, are you still with us, by the way? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I'm going to pull, uh, pull Adrian in for a moment, and then I'm going to get back to you. Adrian. Hey, how are you? Uh, we are sober today, somber, um, trying to process yeah, what we're what we're uh, what we're all today. experiencing. Yeah. So, uh, what oh. can we? Uh, what would you like to share or ask? I think that one of the things that I have noticed is that we, as a society, push away or try to explain away what we don't want to cope with or can't figure out how to deal with. We we have a tremendous issue with people who have mental illness not being able to get treated or anger that people... Can, can I dive in? I want to dive in. I want to dive in because I want to I want to dive in to the we. I asked Harold. Harold, you're still with us, right? Yep. Harold, I asked you a question. I admitted on, in the film I am and still feel that I'm dealing with a mental illness. Um, I said I'm mentally ill, you know? Um, and I don't mean that to um, diminish the difficulty that um, the severely mentally ill are challenged with. But if if the truth of a mental illness is, is not seeing reality, and reality is that we're all brothers and sisters, like every mystic saint and sage has ever said, and I was against everyone and not for everyone, as Josh said earlier, that I had to be a winner, couldn't be a loser, I was mentally ill. And that has, a, that's ha- has an effect. I asked you this morning if you're mentally ill. What did you say? So of course I am. Okay, and tell me why you said that. Well, uh, you just kind of, you just said it. Uh, I, I take care of my family. I take care of my loved ones. And I extend out a little bit past that, but nowhere near. Uh, I don't treat everybody like they're my family. I know it to be true, and yet my actions don't back that up. So, Well, I, well, I want to give you credit for one action that saved the life. Harold, of course, if you're listening for the first time, most of our audience knows Harold gave a kidney to a stranger and saved the life. So he's taken a step that uh, makes up for a lot of maybe other... Um, the right way. Uh, what have you done for me lately? So yeah. That's a good thing. I, I, don't I, I understand that. I understand that. I don't want to be as hard on you as maybe uh, uh, others have been in your life. I think you're a beautiful soul, but I also think you're a truthful soul because I do know you and you know me, and we're both wanting to be, uh, to treat, uh, widen our, our family circle. Um, so now, Adrian, I'm coming back to you. Are you mentally ill? Crazy question, I know. Yes. Okay, you don't have to admit that on the air, by the way. It's a really tough thing. I mean, I, I just realized that's kind of a bad setup that no, I did. But but what is it that you, what is it? I don't want to talk about we all. I want to talk about you. Okay. Right? I want okay. to talk about you. So, um, because I believe that this is how the healing starts. I want everybody to write their congressman. If they want people to have AK-15s you know, or whatever, then, you know, or don't want them to have it, then please do something about it. But I believe that the true change, the true revolution is a personal revolution. I want to ask about you. Tell me what is how mental illness shows up with you. I still have fear about uh, not being loved enough or not having my, you know, I've been rejected by show business for nine years, and that still hurts my self-esteem. That's a very low energy that I'm still working on. And that has an effect, has an effect on my mood that I bring into the world. And I own that, and I want to change that. What is it that you want to change? I would like to change how we how we treat our hang on one second Adrian I'm gonna jump in again talking about the we I want to go to the to you yeah and again this is something that I've asked you before that I want you to talk about you because I know you have a wisdom and a perspective you've obviously done a lot of consideration a lot of reading 
um, a, a, a lot of oh, thought. I, but what about you? I, I came. I came from a family where my mother was a nurse in a drug and alcohol hospital. It was a county facility, and they often brought in homeless people on cold nights, many of whom had mental illness that made it difficult, if not impossible, for them to function in, in what we consider a normal environment. And so all of my life, I would hear these stories from my mother about how people would react to, you know, sounds or smells or words. And there was not a a place for them to go where they could get long-term care because we as a society had you know made funding choices about what we were going to spend money on and the least among us got the least among us yes i agree so, couldn't agree more with everything you're saying but i want you to go deeper and again we'll do this at an, at another time because i know these are these are hard questions the the reason i did this show in the first place the only moment i've told my students and my friends that i really care about is the moment of transformation the moment when you see something you didn't see before a lot of the calls we get on our shows are people telling us, well, here's what I believe and here's what I've seen. That's not a moment of transformation. And it's hard. No, that's why, that's why I get no phone calls. That's why I get no phone calls. It's all good. I get no phone calls. I'm cool well, with that. I think we get stuck in, in but again, I, I'm going to dive in. I got to dive in. I'm, I hate to be the interrupter. I'm very un-Buddhist right now. But you keep talking about we. And, and, your story, and your story was about we. Your story was about the mentally ill people that you were exposed to, but I didn't know how that affected you, how it broke your heart, how it, it created a protected uh, a philosophy that pushed things away or invited too much in. And that's where we all begin to heal a problem as broad as what we're seeing in this country. So look, I'm going to let you think about this. You're going to call us tomorrow because we love you. Um, and we want to go carry this on. But I want you to think about this tomorrow, and, I, and, and the phone call will be I. How's that? I. All right. Okay. <laughs> I love you. All right, we'll talk tomorrow. Bye, Adrian. All right, peace. Okay. Um, so. Something, uh, if, I, if I might add here, we keep talking about culture, but I'd like to, and you talk about a little bit about energy. The thing that we don't really consider is that when you really accept energy and you accept that you're connected to everything. You forget a lot of the things that you're actually connected to. For example, every dollar that you make is funding a war that we forget about. Right. So it's hard to be like, that individual has blood on his hands, let's wash off his blood when we all really have blood on our hands. And that is something that, again, I have to point the finger in because I've thought about this a lot. The people, again, that I really admire have said, you know what, I don't want to fund a military at, I think we're six times the next six countries or something. What somebody will, I butchered that stat, but we spend more money on military, I think, than the next six countries combined. I believe is the stat. We've and raised, I'm still, and I'm, and I'm a part of that. And we we're raising children in war times of war, and we are not admitting to ourselves that we are at war. We're y- yes. we're going about our day to day like yes, and I believe war. that war is with ourselves. With all of who we are, it's with, with, with the acceptance of the shadow, if you will, which is now emerging, I think, in the political conversation. 
we are at war with wholeness. That's what the holy people knew. They didn't walk around going, I'm exceptional, like we call America. They say, holy smokes, I got some rottedness in me, right? I'm whole, but I see that rottedness, and I can do something about it. I, I can get, spin that. You are going to dive in. Brooke, you, had, you are going to jump down my throat. I could tell this was uh, a, Brooke, a Brooke challenge. Tom, okay. So What's wrong with Tom? We, oh, my goodness, the list. Um, but <laughs> we... We've, I'm joking. We've touched on something here. We've on the show. We talk a lot about this idea of people being pitted against one another and how that's dangerous and that's not how we're hardwired. But what do we do? We might. We're not the only ones in the country to realize this. I think the tide will turn, as you say. This is the true thing, so it's going to rise up. But how can we help push this needle forward? What What do we do when these senseless acts of violence keep happening, and it seems like there's no way to stop them and no one's insight yeah i want you to do so much but i want it to start with being i want it to start with being who am i right and all doing will come out of the being and we don't realize what kian was saying which is we're connected in a soup of energy that we can't get out of and what an injustice to anyone, an injustice to an LGBT is an injustice to everyone. That's the Christian, that's the fundamentalist in any faith. An injustice to that LGBT is an injustice to everyone. Well, I feel that injustice, but it's hard to know what to do now. Right. Who are you? It's a big question. Yes, it is a big question, isn't it? It is a big question. Yes, yes. I'll leave it. I'll leave it open. <laughs> well, with Brooke's question, I feel like there's no quick fix answer. It's all. It all comes down to just a cultural shift towards your reaction to situations. And I'm always brought back to when I was a kid. Uh, bullying kind of had a big impact on my life. My little brother was bullied heavily, and I became a bully because of it. Because I saw this this hierarchy of Someone was insecure about something, so they picked on someone else who my mm-hmm. brother had developmental issues. Mm-hmm. And the only way I saw that I could get ahead in that system and cut this off was becoming the bully they were. Mm-hmm. And so in turn, I would go fight kids for my brother. And, you know, I feel like I was justified in doing it. But now that I look back on it after seeing this, it just breeds more disenfranchisement. It just breeds more of the other. And that's the whole issue. It's it's deeper than that. You may feel justified in acting out, but if you find a different way to approach it, instead of fighting fire with fire, you know, fight it with love, fight it with, you know, something different. There has to be a different way we can approach these issues other than just conflict. You, yeah. You, you touch on something like I've been thinking about listening to you guys talk for the past five minutes, and it's I keep going back to like that American idea, but it is to me – if this person attacks someone with a gun and I have a gun, I'm going to protect him because I'm going to mow him down and then I will be here as the protector. And and to me, if I could reshape that ideology in myself and say, instead of coming at you with a gun and we could denormalize that culture and say, if it was an odd thing to see those weapons out and about in strip malls and that sort of thing, if we could normal normalize the opposite of that culture yeah i listen I, guys I, I just think we're getting we get ahead of ourselves and everybody goes to the extreme well what happens if somebody pulls a gun on me right like, like what happens do i get the right. do i have the right to shoot them 
we can have that debate. That's a good debate to have. But but societies change from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so if if Jesus had a gun, we wouldn't have the story, right? If one of the apostles shot the guy that was going to crucify him, we wouldn't have the story. You're right. But I think I have to I think that is a very practical outlet of ourselves our inner selves, you know, reshaping that culture. I think that I think we express ourselves outwardly and the manifestation of it's normal to have an AK-15 or whatever it was is a manifestation of that inner inner self. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. But let me, let me get back to what you said. When there was, you said if we can meet these things with love, right? If we can meet them with a different energy, there's nothing to push back on, right? If we stand up and we say American exceptionalism, I think America has done some amazing things, not done in the history of the world. We should look at them and call them beautiful. But this idea of exceptionalism, like we're the bomb, we're the we're the, we're it, is is forgive that terminology. It it it's it's immature, right? It's like a five year old. But it, so if we stand up and say we're right, they say you're wrong. There's something to push against. If we say we see something beautiful, we want to keep moving in this way, and that way is love and brotherhood. And we may not be doing it perfectly, and we have a lot of things we have to think about. What's there to push back on? Ah, well, yeah. Uh, no, no, we're not actually standing here saying we're right. We're saying we're trying something that we think is beautiful where everybody has a right to a vote, which we have not been good about. We didn't give it to blacks. We didn't give it to women until very recently. So forgive us. We're trying imperfectly. What's there to push back on? But we stand up and, and, and again, America is just the apex of this vision. So I don't want to push it at America. Yeah. A couple of things. Um, my mind is just racing. And uh, Harold, if you're still here, I, I'm- Damn. Right now, I'm, I'm battling between two thoughts. So about a, a month and a half ago, I lost a cousin to suicide. And for me to think about what I could be for him in his life to prevent that, to me, that's the same level of participation or the same level of the ability to change what happened in Orlando because it's just a conversation. You know, For that, that to be the first time that suicide has affected my family the emptiness that he felt, I'm sure that the is the same emptiness that the shooter in Orlando felt. And it reminds me of the situation uh, where you and Tom were in the grocery store not too long ago and you seen the guy walk in and, it, you know, sensed that he was going to rob the place. How do you sense that? How, do, how does that attitude, you know, come about? And also uh, to the point that you just made, Tom, I think for us, we, we're raised in a society that teaches you to watch out for yourself so you don't see the signs always when someone else is hurting mm. or when someone else is going through something. How, how did you guys come through that situation? How do you develop that attitude? Well, the society that told me to watch out for myself, I've spelled self with a small s, and I discovered that there was a big s and that that self could never be taken from me. That's why I asked Brooke, who are you? You know, we all want to go, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I said, Find out who you are. Find out who you are. And then you'll build a society based on that idea. You'll build a society based on the connection of things, as Keon said, the brotherhood of things, the inherent interrelatedness of all of life, right? Uh, Martin Luther King says this, uh, uh, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools, right? Einstein said our moral leaders were geniuses in the art of living. They're telling you how to live, Brooke. You want to know what to do? I'll tell you what to do. I'm going to give you the closest that I can get to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what the poet Walt Whitman said, and I've told you before, but it's really hard 
because you got to let go of the little s. You got to serve the bigger s, right? What did Walt Whitman said? This is what we shall do: love the earth and sun and animals. He said, despise riches. What? But, but, but that's what I'm supposed to get. I, I'm supposed to win the lottery. I'm supposed to be rich, and then I can give some back. That's why I'm a philanthropist, people, P-I-S-S-E-D. He said despise riches. He didn't say despise money. Despise riches. He said give alms to everyone who asks. Devote your income and labor to others, and your very flesh will be a poem. Okay, I just told you what to do. Right, this is like Jesus. That when 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 the when the rich young ruler came and said, uh, "Hey, man, I, I do. I'm I'm good guy. Like I can keep all the commandments. What do I do?" And uh, and he says, uh, "Well, uh, leave your wealth and come come follow me." Right? Didn't say worship me. He said, "Come follow me. Come hang out." And the guy went, "Oh man, I got too much jack. I got too much money. Can't do it." So. You despise riches because riches are just a storage house that could be energy for somebody else's upliftment and opportunity. You would despise that. That would be like, that would be insane, right? The way early indigenous cultures looked at super, super, super billionaire wealthy people. is like, that's insanity to them, right? They would say, I'm sorry to hear that, right? That's the opposite, right? So see through that illusion. It's the first thing. So you want to know what to do? There you go. Good luck. Peace. Harold, does this all sound like this will be my last day in the air? By the way, this will be my last day in in the world. By the way, we didn't take the second break, but I got it. I don't care about second break. We're not taking it. Yeah, Brooke just Brooke gave me the power. Something that you and I spoke about earlier today uh, has stuck with me, and it continues to to bubble a little bit as we talk about uh, separation, uh, or we're not all one. If we, if we are one family, but we still talk about the things that divide us. You talked about uh, one of the major religions that teaches and, 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 and teaches our youth that uh, being homosexual is wrong. It's bad. It's a, what's the word, an abomination. Uh, and that's not bad guys. That's the good guys who are saying that. Well, boy, do we just have to tear everything down and start building from scratch again because that with that in my head what percentage of this country are christian and if that's the founding uh you know teachings gee there's a problem there there's a huge problem there. yeah i I wouldn't call the founding teachings i would say it was a very uh i hope short-lived step in the human evolution because at some point in our history we needed to procreate because the jewish people were enslaved etc and so that's where i believe that language came from this is all up for debate none of us were there but it's something we certainly have to see through and i think many christians are moving beyond it if you talk to a young person today of faith, they don't even, they don't see gay, straight, they see human beings. Um, and sadly, if you, if you don't have any reason to live, that a- anger can be pushed out to, you know, that modeling that who talked about, the modeling that you talked about, you know, when we're, when you talked about it with bullying, when you're modeled bullying, when, uh, when see, I, I believe Christianity owns its share of, of even the act that happened yesterday. We very quickly pointed a faith that also has challenges with homosexuality. I'm being politically correct. Uh, we very quickly point, but we forget that in the Christian faith, there's been so much and still remains so much judgment of the homosexual because of a line in Leviticus, you know, 2023, I believe. The homosexual deserves death. 
my goodness, that if that you know, if that was ever the word of God, that's not a God that I understand. Not a God that I understand. Tom, if I may jump in, I think right now in on this planet, the human consciousness is very tethered to resource control, and we're considered the ideas that you get. Pat, once you kind of let that go make you feel such a way such a sadness that you can never really share some things with the human world like that and when you re-enter for everyone has left the human conscious field whatever even with we're, we're a child or we're in the woods for a week anything i think stronger than anger is apathy so when you come back and you try to be angry at everything, or you try to be happy at everything, but you really just come back down to apathy, that apathy can be forever. And that's why I believe in God, because God really, when you're apathetic, will give you something to love. But Well, I, I hear you, but what I would say to that is a person who goes in and sees essentially in the woods, again, their connection with all of life, and returns and becomes apathetic, didn't really see... They came, they, they, they may have had a moment, but it certainly didn't. We know something when we do something about it. Like I've said that before, we don't really know anything. You say, yeah, I know that, but I don't do it. Then you don't know it. <laughs> like if you know it, you, you just got to do it, <laughs> right? Imperfectly, but you do it. And somebody who really connects themselves, somebody who really knows who they are, can, you can't be apathetic. <laughs> like that thing gets a hold of you, you know? Somebody once told me, Tom, you get it. I said, I don't know if I get it, but it, it's got me, <laughs> right? All right, we're running out of show. Anybody else want to say anything? Yeah, I mean, that's, we can't heal anybody else, though. I can't heal someone else. What I need to do is heal myself and find out who I am. Tell that to America. That's a great thing. I mean, aren't we trying to heal everybody? Right, but we've talked about it before, too. People say that you're being selfish when you want to turn your focus inward, but the only person that I can open up to love is myself, and if sharing my journey can help somebody else... Well, find out their truth. Mary Oliver says it very well. You, you, you're determined to save the one life you can save. And she's talking about her own life. But mm-hmm. the irony is, is when you do, quote, save that life, you are then open to being a lighthouse for all others. And the saying came up the other day, a lighthouse doesn't look for boats to save. It's just sitting there beaming. And thereby it saves boats. It's interesting to me that this show turned uplifting towards the end. Oh, I want to play this clip real bad. Is three short enough to play? Are no. you a boy or a girl? Is four short have, enough to play? We have two you minutes have two, left. You have just less than two minutes. Harold, wrap this up for us, will you? <laughs> you uh, okay, this woman, Ash Beckham, everybody who's listening, Google her TED Talk. We're tweeting uh, it out now. Out of Boulder, Colorado. She's a phenomenally beautiful gay woman and if anyone thinks a gay uh, gay means not beautiful this will change your mind and your heart harold end this end this show for us will you <laughs> uh well uh i i fully subscribe to the concept that all i've got is me uh, i've said that for for, for years uh, i can't uh it doesn't mean i'm an expert at it but uh i know uh that i can go out tonight and uh and, in, and wrap my arms around more people than I would have without this conversation. And I just got to keep doing that. And, 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 and who said that enlarge the circle of friends to include that? that that's kind of it. Einstein, right? The solution is to widen this illusion of our separation, this delusion. The solution is to widen your circle of compassion to include all of mankind and the whole of the natural world. That's it. Yeah. 
Look, uh, at, at, at tell me more. We we, uh, we we like to take things from a different angle. I hope that this may have cracked uh, maybe a ceiling of what someone thinks is the conversation about what's happening in the world. Uh, I don't think it's enough to simply say our thoughts and prayers goes to those of Orlando. Um, uh, I, I think it has to go deeper than that. Of course, we, we stand in compassion with them. We stand heartbroken with them. Uh, and hopefully we will all heal with them. So this is Tell Me More uh, with Tom Shadiak. And uh, go out and love each other. And love this world. <laughs>